Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, in the Lord, <coughs> woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourself what is proper for a wife to place to God but her head uncovered. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for covering. If anyone is inclined to be contemptuous, we have no such problem, nor do we pity. Okay. <coughs> um, first thing I want to do is I... I actually asked you guys two weeks ago, you may not have done this, but you may have, asked you to actually read through this passage and, and think up any questions. So I, I, I know that sometimes those uh, encouragements don't, they go unheeded, but uh, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity uh, right off the bat, if you have particular questions from this passage, maybe you've thought of them earlier, or maybe you're just thinking of them now, I'll, I'll be happy to write some of those down and make sure that as I go through my understanding of this passage, that I try to deal with your particular questions. So, are there any particular questions that you have? Yes, Susan. Okay. Because of the angels. That's helpful, and I will deal with that. Good. Other questions? Yes, Ryan. Verse 4. Verse 4, it says, If a man had clothed himself with that, he would have covered the man, but if a woman had clothed herself with that, she would have uncovered the man. I think he's talking about man and woman both together. Oh, this is... Oh yeah, so uh, um, so praying and prophesying definitely is is relating to um, the spiritual gift of prophecy that was actually occurring in the church. Yeah, and it's and it is. I'm gonna make, this is going to be a major point. Uh, that gift was given not only to men, but to God. I mean, to women, excuse me, by God to women. Good. Uh, the question is, did, is, was prophesying just declaring the word? We'll talk about that too. And particularly um, <clears throat> when we get to the spiritual gifts in uh, 12 and 14, uh, ch those chapters, we'll go into detail on that, um, but at this point in the church in Corinth, it, it was receiving direct words from God, uh, so um, yeah, good, good questions. Yes, in the back, here you go, Cassidy's going to take the mic to you. Okay, image and glory male female good that's excellent good you guys are so far I'm feeling good at least I'm gonna I'm gonna address issues that you're asking about so that's good other well yeah that's the big that's the big one here like uh <laughs> Uh, what is, and you said the significance of it, um, I'm going to say what is the covering, and, and, and then we'll just talk about why, the, the, why does God care about this, so that's, that's actually, that's the part that I'm going to be most um, 
vague about, opaque is what he says here. <laughs> I'll do my best on this. But um, other questions? Yeah? Yeah, okay, good, good, yeah, so uh, verse 16, the uh, um, n- no practice, that's good, I'll, that's good, this is great, good, 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 <clears throat> okay, has anybody heard this preached on or taught on before? I mean, you had to have heard me when I preached on it in 2016, but um, if you were here, but other other places other you guys are on the internet some and you hear stuff um heard rc sproul talk on it oh boy hope i'm not too far away from him <laughs> it was <laughs> all right so here we go are we ready um so in verse 2 paul says i commend you and he's commending them because they are uh, really from from verse one. They are trying to imitate Paul. I believe they're trying to maintain uh, the traditions that Paul has taught them. Now, do you see there where it says traditions? Uh, that's an important, um, a really important word, because sometimes we think of traditions. We just think of like human traditions, right? Like human, uh, yeah, just like we, we have traditions for how you uh, keep Christmas or something like that, right? <clears throat> and so, so Paul is commending them because they remember him and they maintain the traditions as he has taught them. You have to understand that traditions in this context, remember the New Testament has not been written yet, at least in its entirety. So when he says traditions, and there are other places in Scripture that talk about this too, the traditions that they're talking about are the teachings that the apostles handed down to the churches that became the New Testament. So when he's talking about traditions, he's not talking about just human traditions. He's actually talking about um, the, his own practices, you know, imitate me, but also his own doctrine that he's handed down to them. And he's commending them that they're trying to keep those. Is that following me on that? The, the Catholic Church took this idea of tradition and then they continued it so that after the apostolic period, the church could continue to write authoritative doctrine, uh, and a lot of times they'll call it big T tradition, that is binding. So when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, it is a binding tradition for all. Or if a council s- declares something, it is binding doctrine, which is one of the big differences that we have with the uh, Catholic Church, is that we believe the Scripture and the Scripture alone is our authority, what I'm telling you is that the traditions that Paul's talking about here are what we have in the New Testament. At that time, they were, they were the teachings that the apostles were teaching and giving to the people that they were calling traditions at that time. Are you following me? Okay. <clears throat> um, yep. Yes. There you go. That's exactly right. So if you didn't, did anybody hear that or not? We didn't get the mic. So he just said in verse 17, Paul deals with a new topic of communion. And he's like, look, I've gave you some recommendation that you're following me in general. But on this issue, on communion, you are definitely not following the path that I taught you about. So he's so that's just uh, uh, Benji was just saying that is evidence that what I just said about tradition is more than just you know, kind of practices you could get rid of or, or, you know, keep. They are definitely what Paul's instructing the churches to do, okay? <clears throat> um, okay, 
Um, one of those traditions, turn over to Galatians chapter 3, and Galatians was one of the first books of the, of the New Testament, written very early. Galatians 3, 24 to 28. I'll read it. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. This is starting in verse 24. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, one of the traditions that Paul has taught to them that we would call scriptural is that now that Christ has come, as far as your relationship with God, there is not really a difference between male and female. There's not a distinction. Okay, that's, that's one of the traditions that, he, that he's talking about. The resurrection changes everything for Paul. In the new heavens and new earth, there will no longer be human marriages. So there's certain aspects of our life here and now that are not existing in the eternal state, right? The entire church will be the bride of Christ. So husbands, you will be a bride at that time. <laughs> you won't be husbands, you'll be a bride at that time, even though you're still male, female kind of thing. So he, the, uh, if, if this is true, if, if we're all one in Christ, if, if there's not male, uh, if there's not husband and wife um, in glory, but we're all part of the bride, then maybe we could do away with male-female distinctions now. In fact, that's actually an argument that much of the liberal church makes about this. Um, so, and, and there is some, uh, you know, there, there's some justification for asking that question because the, the Corinthians are doing that very thing. They are trying to think through the resurrection, thinking about what Paul's talking about, uh, uh, neither male nor female in Christ, and then they're making conclusions that Paul sees as inappropriate. Okay, But the fact that they're jumping to those conclusions tells you that they are actually thinking about the resurrection, thinking about who we are in Christ, things that Paul has spoken previously. In addition to this, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to both men and women. Okay? Women spoke in tongues. Women were given the gift of prophecy, just like men. So think about that. Uh, the Holy Spirit occasionally poured, was poured out on a woman prophet, prophetess in the Old Testament. But in the book of Acts, we're seeing it like indiscriminately poured out on men and women. You know, very, very powerful thing. This was, this was a big deal to them at that time. Um, this should be celebrated. Should not be, uh, you know, discouraged. This is a good thing. Um, he actually commends them as good students. Like, you, you remember the things I've been teaching you, and this is a good thing. But these wonderful truths do not change the fact that as long as we still live in our earthly bodies, we are tied to the order that God has established in this creation. Are you still in your earthly body? Then you're still tied to this creation, period. Okay. Um, at creation, God made men and women different, and he made them with very distinct purposes. And those differences and purposes are not annulled by the gospel. God places the man in authority over the woman at creation. So the wonderful truth that we are all one in Christ needs to be balanced with the truth that there are distinctions between men and women that God has designed at creation. So looking at verse 3, 
I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So, there are many, uh, used to be just in more liberal church uh, commentaries, but I think it's even in kind of spilling over into more conservative commentaries, at least what I've been reading. Head traditionally meant authority. But it can also mean source, like the head of a stream, you know, the headwaters. It's like the source of that stream. And I think both of these can be uh, appropriate. Um, and I actually think that they, they interweave and help each other, okay? But I have great issue with those who try to say that it means source to the exclusion of authority. That's where I take issue. I actually read some pretty decent uh, scholarly commentary on this passage trying to look at it as primarily source and not authority at all. And uh, um, I... I I don't know how else to say it. I just think it's that's wrong. <laughs> so, um, in this passage, it says that that God the Father is over God the Son. Now you can say that there's a there's a begetting aspect of the Father to the Son, so that the Son is proceeding from the 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 Father, but. But technically, when we think about the Trinity, they're all eternally existing. So you can't say that the, that the Son has his source in the Father. Um, so it's not a matter of being between the Father and the Son, but it is a matter of relationship between the Father and the Son. And that's where I say that authority is being established here, even at the very beginning, in the Father-Son relationship. Okay, uh, and then it says, and, and to make, there's a lot of confusing things in this passage, but one of the confusing things is, in the Greek, the word for wife and the word for woman is the same word. So that doesn't help us at all, right? So, um, so it could be the head of the woman is her, is her, the fact that it's her. It's made them think uh, husband, but later down in the passage, it talks about woman and man and not husband and wife. So it, it, anyway, just to let you know. But the head of the husband is, head of the wife is her husband, and the head of man and women is Christ. Okay. Um, so uh, Christ, the son, is over both men and women, husband and wife. Um, There's a hierarchy of authority that is built into the creation. Now, I don't understand exactly how this hierarchy will be played out in the new creation, but as long as we're in this creation, it's very clear. So... Verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Who would his head be? Christ. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Who would that be? That's the one that's confusing. Could be her husband, could be Christ, right? Um, a little bit confusing there, but... Uh, it is the same as if her head were shaven. So it seems like it's, it's dishonoring her head, right? Because it's like she's the one that's bringing the shame upon herself. It, it's hard to know at this point. I'll keep going. When Paul places prayer and prophesying together, the one who prays or prophesies, He's most likely referring to leading the congregation in prayer. That's a very important distinction. 
Um, we have a pastoral prayer that the pastors are, would come up and pray. Uh, we don't usually have women do that prayer. Uh, but in, at least in this situation, at that time, it seems that there were women in front leading the congregation in prayer. Okay? And the fact that it's connected to prophesying, again, means that it is a formal teaching. Okay? They're, they're doing this in the activities of worship. Okay? Traditionally, those activities of prophesying and praying were open to men alone. But now, with the outpouring of the Spirit, it is obvious that God wanted women to be involved in these activities in some sense. This is very important when we go over to chapter 14. Turn to chapter 14, verse 34. 1 Corinthians 11, 14. Verse 34. The women should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. Okay. So if you only had 1 Corinthians 14.34, but you didn't have 1 Corinthians 11, you might do what many have done and said that women should never speak in church. And that's been a, a it's widely held position in many churches. Um, but if you have 1 Corinthians 11, you understand that women were prophesying in church. And the issue is not just that they should, should not prophesy, but that they should not do it with their head uncovered. You see the, see the distinction there. So you can't take 1 Corinthians 14 and then turn it into, you don't ever say anything, women. Because they were doing it, and Paul doesn't shut them down in 1 Corinthians 11. He could have just said, hey, you're not supposed to talk anyway. Right? Also, I think it helps us to understand that it is some sort of leading in the congregation that's going on. It's not a, it's not a private prayer. It's not just, if I ask somebody to pray uh, in Sunday school, would you close us in prayer or something? It's, it's not the same thing as actually leading in the congregation in prayer and prophesying. Okay? So when I ask you a question, ladies, and you answer, it's, you know, it's like, should I speak? No, no. That's, I think I completely reject that idea. Because Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, it's, it's clear that women were actually prophesying in church service. Okay? All right, questions on that right now, because that's a pretty big distinction that I feel like many people miss when they go to trying to exegete both 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> huh? Ah, uh, yeah, you see, and this is a big part of this. I, I want to follow the scripture. <laughs> there are places where I'm not 100% sure of it, but, but I don't want to be more conservative than the scripture is. <laughs> you know, I want to be where the scripture lies. Um, okay. <clears throat> What Paul is concerned with in 1 Corinthians 11 is that a woman not carry out a function that was traditionally only given to men in such a way that blurs the idea that men have authority over women. He doesn't want to blur that. He, doesn't wanna, he knows that these gifts of the Spirit are being poured out on men and women alike, and it seems it could go to the conclusion that there is no authority anymore. We're all just equal which is where many in the church would take it. And Paul's saying, no, that is happening, but I still want you to understand that there's a, there's a structure of authority that needs to be in place. Okay? So verse 6. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Now, we're not going to talk about exactly what this uh, covering is until towards the end. Hopefully we'll get through this all today. But, um, but th it's clear here that there is a w if you don't acknowledge the structure of authority, you are doing something that is shameful. That's, that's Paul's point. 
Um, and you cannot simply, even though you should exercise your God-given gifts like prophecy, you shouldn't do it in a way that confuses authority. That's, that's his uh, pretty clear point. The idea of shaving your head or, uh, I don't know, this was not real clear to me. Um, you know, my wife's head was shaved when she had cancer, those kind of things. But uh, I was watching, you guys watching Band of Brothers? Don't, don't get, you know, upset. <laughs> but there's a, place, there's a place in that series where some of the women had, uh, like, uh, compromised and sided with the Germans during the occupation in the Netherlands. And then when the Americans kind of liberated for a very short time, the, the nether people there were so mad at the women who had basically betrayed their fellow men that they, like, one of the things that they did was shaved all their heads. Uh, it was a sense of shame. So, so just, you know, whatever you're thinking, Paul's just saying, like, to shave your head was, a, was like a, it's not a good thing. It was a, it was a way to shame a person, and that's what he's saying here. Um, to, to, to actually engage in spirit-filled activity while denying any symbol of headship over you is, um, is actually bringing shame. It's actually bringing God against it sh- himself, like the pouring out of the spirit and the, the authorities structure that he's uh, given are at odds with each other. And Paul's saying they're not at odds with each other. They might be at odds with each other in your situation, but not because of what God says. Okay, verse 7 It is just as wrong for a man to abdicate his role of authority as it is for a woman to usurp it. Um, We may still be confused about head covering and what is the symbol of authority, but the principle is there. Men have been given authority, so to to in some way abdicate that authority is just as shameful for a man. And God ordained this at creation. Now that brings us to that uh, the image and glory of God, and woman is the glory of man. So, um, Laura, uh, what does the second part of that verse leave out? So when it says, woman is the glory of man, what does it leave out? Right. Uh, the image part. So it says, man is the image and glory of God, but then it says that woman is the glory of man. It doesn't say that woman is the image of man, does it? And if you go to uh, Genesis one twenty-seven, you you can turn there if you want. But Genesis one twenty-seven is clear. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created him. So it's very clear that the image of God is both in the man and in the woman. In many ways, I would say that the image of God. Um, is man and woman together because you think of how that creation took place God created man and then he took woman out of man and then bringing them back together that is most clearly the image of God right because you've got a a trinity in God not just a solitary person but you've got uh, father son holy spirit and this idea of um, two persons united in one is really more clearly expressing the image of God yes They were prophesying in worship, yes. We'll have to, we'll take some time to get to that. (laughs) Number one, very quickly, um, the pastor, when he stands in the pulpit, is um, giving an authoritative preaching of the word of God. Now, we're not saying that it's inerrant, that a pastor couldn't say anything wrong, or that he's perfect and like he's divine. We're not saying those things. But we are saying that when the pastor preaches the word, he is speaking with authority. He's not just giving his opinions. He's, there's a, there's, God has ordained the pastor. There's an authority that's been placed upon him. So um, 
My argument is that, that um, this is one of the reasons why God gives the preaching of the word of God to men only. So, um, but uh, we don't have, in my opinion, and we'll get to this when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, we don't have a situation where you actually have female prophets uh, of this nature. Now, um, in our day today, because I think that the prophecy, gift of prophecy has ended. So, um, but I do think that um, when a prophet spoke, he spoke with authority. And that's the issue that's going on here. So uh, I don't know if that helps you at all. A lot of this won't, won't be clear until we get to actually uh, the gifts of prophecy um, in chapter 14. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, um, it, 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 I don't. It's not just Paul defining it. it. The Spirit of God communicates divine truth to an individual, and they then speak that truth. That's prophecy. There is a prophetic function that a pastor has, but I'm not receiving new revelation as I preach the Word of God. I am expounding the truth of the Scripture. It's, it's different than what a prophet would get. Um, but they actually receive direct revelation. You can understand why this would be confusing. So let's just say the Lord gave Lee Irwin the gift of prophecy and not Clark Irwin. Can you see how, like, Clark is her head, but Lee has been given this gift, and she it, it's not given to her to just keep to herself. She is to speak it to the church. And so... Uh, what Paul's trying to get at is saying Lee has to do that in a way that doesn't somehow diminish her acceptance of Clark as her head and her authority. And that's, that's, the, that's the dilemma that Paul's dealing with here. It is a challenging dilemma, okay? I guess. Oh, boy. I'm going to get myself into trouble. <laughs> okay. All right. So back to this image and glory of God. Both the man and the woman are made in the image of God because the woman actually comes from the man. So, like, they're, like she, is, she is made from him. He's a rib taken out. So there's, it's, how could she not be in the image of God? And I would even say that Adam's image is somewhat uh, lessened, like he had something taken out of him, so he's incomplete until he's brought back into oneness with Eve. So, um, when it comes to bearing the image and likeness of God, both men and women do so. In fact, to limit God's character to maleness is not accurate. You hear that? There are aspects of God's being that are more clearly displayed in feminine qualities. We should embrace this. We shouldn't be, you know, God is not just a man. Um, even while we continue to hold on to the truth that we call upon God as father rather than mother. But that has more to do with our relationship to him as our authority than it does God's ability to care for us. The Bible's not ashamed to say that God cares for his children like a mother, hen. You know, it's not afraid to say that. Um, spreading your pinions over them, protecting them. So it, it, women should say, wow, that is a, a true aspect of who God is in the attributes of who a woman is and, and femininity. This is one of the things that's being lost in our generation by the confusion of the genders. You know, and, and I get it that maleness, there's a spectrum in maleness, there's a spectrum in femaleness. You know, I get all that, but, but God has created male and female, and they both display the image of God. Yes. Those two converge in marriage, 
Mm-hmm. That's good. Very, very good. Now, and this is, uh, this is maybe I don't want to have this all on the recorded, but here we go. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, it seems to be in verse 7 that while both male and female are made in the image of God, that, that man was originally created, just think of the man individually, Adam, for the glory of God. So that would be the purpose over all of uh, humanity. But it seems that the woman in the purpose of her creation was to be the glory of man. Now let me try to explain this. This is just as best that I can understand this. Uh, which person exactly expresses the radiance and glory of God. There's only one person. Christ. Christ. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance and glory of God. So in a sense, Christ all by himself is the glory of God. Okay? Uh, there's nothing that is missing in the glory of God as you look at Christ. He has it all. So this is why I think that Paul wants to say that man is in the image and glory of God because he's, he doesn't want to lose the fact that Christ alone is the glory of God in all of his fullness. I just told you that man and women together, you know, are this. But Christ is basically everything in and of himself. At the same time, um, we need to try to understand how the woman or how women are the glory of man. And I think that it has to do with the fact that when Adam was created, um, and when woman was created, uh, she was a, a rib was taken out of Adam, and she was created to complete Adam. Okay, so Adam was not complete without Eve joining together with him. She was there not just to, you know, uh, provide sexual pleasure or to have kids or. She was there to actually bring completion to a man who was now incomplete without her, okay? And I think that that is a big part of the feminine problem, femi extreme feminism. And that is that, that whether you're married or not, just the whole concept of womanhood and femininity brings completion to men. It's very important whether you're in marriage or not in marriage. Uh, if you want to see this uh, lived out, be, um, I, I, I've not been in the Army, so I haven't been in a barracks of just all men, but I've been on sports teams, and I know that men are not the full picture of who we're supposed to be when we're just around other men. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. We need women, period, and the church needs women. Um, because we're not all that uh, we're supposed to be. So I think the very purpose of womanhood is to, in essence, complete man. It's to be a helper. That's the whole point, the helpmate. Whether you're in a marriage, which is the, kind of the, the biggest microcosm uh, relationship, or just in general in the church, men and women actually work together completing one another and uh, helping men to be all that we're supposed to be. Questions on that? Does that make sense to you a little bit? I'm trying to help you understand that women and who they are is so important to who th the fullness of who the church is uh, and who we are as, as uh, human beings. Um, Paul goes right into this in verse 8. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So the woman was made from man. That's clear. That's talking about the original creation. Uh, and the woman was made for man. So that's another aspect of this. Feminism uh, in its extreme forms. Some of the, the softer forms that are just about, you know, uh, 
women not being oppressed and, and exercising their gifts. That, that, I have no problem with that. But the extreme forms that are pri- primarily trying to uh, establish um, who we are as women independent of men is anti-biblical. The very creation, women were made to help men. That's why that was, it's, and I think it's primarily in the marriage relationship, but I think it's broader than that because not everybody gets married. So, and I think Paul applies this all across the board. Um, <clears throat> hold on a second. I'm just trying to not lose my place here, and I don't want a question to get me all over the place. Um, now, this idea of authority, because of sin, is scary. Because men can abuse authority. Um, anybody in authority can abuse it, abuse them. I mean, it's a scary thing. And so I want to be very sensitive to, um, to be defenders of those who are the victims of abuse of authority. I think that's a very good thing. At the same time, we do not want to go where our culture goes and just throws out authority in the structure that God has established. Okay, Greg, you have your question. In the sense that um, a woman can preach to men, is there a same element of that in the fact that we are brought to church to learn how to love? How does that apply to men? Does the church preach Christ in that respect? In a, in a loose in a loose analogy, yes. I said earlier, Christ is fully complete in and of himself. Um, but in a loose analogy, he has basically tied himself to his bride that he will not, um, in a sense, experience the fullness of the glory of being the king over his uh, new creation without us. Uh, we will be there together. I think it's... I think it's a very undeveloped uh, aspect that the, the church will be a true helpmate to Christ in the new heavens, new earth. Uh, take the mic back there, Mark. So what I mean by that is she's not, the church is not just Christ's slave. The church is not just um, a child that he's directing and doing things. Like she actually becomes one with Christ. And that's hard for us to imagine that we in our you know, sinful fallen states can actually, we're going to sit on the throne of the universe and be there with Christ, uh, functioning together as a true helpmate for him. I, I mean, that's hard for me to imagine, but I think it's true. And I think when we demean and not, don't, don't uh, truly honor and respect the place that, that women have in the church, I think we are really um, almost cutting our off our own arm because we're then going to diminish our place in glory. Um, so, go ahead, Mark. I, I was thinking that Eve was created for man to have dominion and help mankind. Procreation or yeah, more? Procreation and just everything. Yeah. So, yep. there's roles filling roles and joining roles and mm-hmm. all of those things. Would you say that the church on a practical man basis um, plays the same role as a yeah, I mean, yeah, I think. The world and being come under the yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, everything we've been talking about so far have been principles. They've been like theology and their their basic principles. And I I think they're challenging pr- principles in our day, but but I think they're undeniable principles. But in verse ten, we start getting into symbols. Symbols. And this is where it gets a little bit more challenging. He says, that is why a wife, or we could even argue a woman, ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Again, whatever this symbol of authority is, Paul's basically saying that the external symbol matters. That's very hard for us. Um, He could have written... That is why a woman or a wife ought to strive to submit to her husband. Or that is why a woman ought to respect the leadership of men. That's what he could have said. 
He doesn't. He said, I ought to have a symbol of authority. What is, I mean, what is that? Um, and whatever this symbol is, it, it makes clear that the woman doesn't reject the authority of men. That's the point of the symbol. Okay? And then he says, uh, because of the angels. So this has nothing to do with symbols of authority, but I was in a church, um, wasn't a Presbyterian church, but I was in a church in college, Christian Missionary Alliance, great church. And our Sunday school teachers was a married couple, Bob and Marilyn Taylor. And um, uh, they co-taught that Sunday school. And it was college students, so it was other adults. Um, and and uh, sometimes Bob would teach, sometimes Marilyn would teach. Every time that Marilyn taught, she would, before the class, every time, she would say, I just want you to understand, even though I'm teaching, I believe in the authority of my husband over me. She just said it, you know. And it was just, you know, being a young college student, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I was, uh, came up in a, a different environment that didn't really have much about male headship and stuff. And so, um, anyway, I just thought that that was, that was nice. I respected her honesty in that. Um, and to be frank, she was a better teacher than her husband. She was good. Um, learned a lot from her. Um, okay, so because of the angels, again, this is a, there, there's a lot of ambiguity here, but I'm just going to try to give you what I think is going on. Uh, it may be because the angels are watching on, okay, um, but uh, that I think it has to do with the fact that the angels, their fall was the product of them not accepting their position in the universe. What do I mean by that? Jude 1.6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, did you hear that? But left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal torment. I think that, that, that Lucifer was the highest being in the universe, Man was created a little lower than the angels. But in the gospel, in Christ, the manhood is lifted above angels. And I think that really, uh, really angered Lucifer. And I think the fact that he is the most glorious being in the universe and now he's going to have to play second fiddle to man um, made him mad. And so he left his position and he's tried to establish his own <laughs> And uh, tried to become independent of God. And so when you say because of the angels, accepting your position of authority in the universe is, an, is very important to God. And was a big part of the fall. So I don't know that that's the only uh, explanation, um, but that's the one that I take. So, if you, uh, Laura, you had the question. I don't know if you ever heard that. Do you think differently? Uh, you can feel free to further ask questions about that if you want. So, um, and, and I think that's an ambiguity thing. Obviously, in the home, in the sphere of the home, the husband is the head of the wife. Um, but I, Paul is dealing with the church. That's where he's dealing with it, right? So certainly, um, and maybe these spheres should be, you know, they, they somewhat overlap with one another um but i think that um this is why at least in the esv they start out with husband wife and then later in the passage they start going to men women because i think that the bigger picture is not just so in other words oh it'd be fine for a single woman which could have happened right a single woman who's gift of prophecy to prophesy with her head uncovered that'd be fine but if you're a married woman you shouldn't so I, don't, I think in the church, Paul is saying it is more broadly to just women uh, as opposed to the leadership of the men over the women in the church. Because men in the church are given the place of authority. It's not just husband-wife. In the church, that same uh, 
uh, order is established. This is why there's only male elders in the church. Um, they're the ones. Co correct. Yes. Correct. So, so I have no right to just direct you, uh, give you any commands for orders. I would, I, I would say that I don't really do that to Robin either. As, uh, but, but that there should be no like, hey, I'm an authority over you. You do this what I want. That's that's not what he's saying in the church. We're talking about an activity of a woman actually standing up in front in a leadership position, prophesying or praying. And he's saying there should be a symbol of authority because in this in the order of creation, men are given that position of authority. So is that helpful? Yeah, yeah. Okay, now Paul has just given this big statement about the authority of men, and he wants to balance it. He wants to be like, okay, I don't want men to abuse this. Okay. So in verse 11, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So he basically says you are codependent on each other. <laughs> you need each other. You can't get by without one another. He's interwoven this in the world, mutual dependence upon one another. Um, and I think that even though he's talking about in the structure of how the, you know, husband-wife relation work, and then there's kids and all that kind of stuff. He's really talking about the church, and so I would say that in the church, men and women are also dependent upon each other. They need each other. They cannot exist uh, independent of one another. Um, God does not want fear and distrust between men and women. God desires men and women to respect one another, to embrace one another. Um, so accepting authority should not be demeaning to women. It shouldn't be lowering that, that position at all. Uh, we just need one another. God has made it that way. By the way, I would even argue that if you're not an elder, doesn't mean that you're somehow less than somebody who is in a position of authority as an elder. Like there's not, you know... Uh, I don't, I'm not like better than Christians. We're one in Christ. You know, there's a, there's a same kind of thing going on. We, our culture teaches us that the ones in authority are better. They're the, they're the more important. And that's not the case. Um, so. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Um, all right, so. Verse 13 through 15, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory, for her hair is given to her as a covering. Now, Paul is not trying, he's trying to not be heavy-handed with them. He doesn't just uh, order them. He wants them to think about this. He actually says, judge for yourself. He wants you to reason this through. Um, and he's actually going to be much stronger when he gets to the next section on communion. He's going to be like, bam. This section, he's, he's like, I want you to think about this for yourself. So Paul is teaching this principle, uh, and now he's telling them, you need, to, you need to think about it for yourself. Um, so um, this is what we come to the issue of what do we mean by covering. And I've come down to two possibilities. Uh, you might have more. This is what I've come down with. Um, the first possibility is some sort of external hat or shawl. Uh, this is, used to be a practice. Women would wear hats in worship. Um, uh, it's not done anymore uh, in most places, unless you're Amish, Mennonite those kind of places. There are some other people that do do it. Um, so that's, I think that is a legitimate understanding of this passage. I think it's overused because I think it's sometimes it's like I, a woman can't even pray ever when I think the context is leading worship in prayer, <laughs> um, that you have the symbol of authority. But be that as it may, 
I'm not out there trying to critique people that use head coverings in their practice. So um, I think that's one possibility. I also think that it is possible that the woman's hair is itself a covering. Okay? Uh, nowhere in the passage does Paul use the noun for covering except in verse 15. And where he explicitly says in that place that the lady's hair has been given to her as a covering. Um, so, there's no, <laughs> there's no Old Testament command for women to wear a covering of any sort in worship. Um, but I think that we're dealing with a new situation where that women were being given a gift that was traditionally given to men. And so there, therefore, there's this confusion of authority. So Paul's saying, let's put a symbol of authority on there. I think is what's going on. Um, and the Bible doesn't really, Paul doesn't even give a specific length. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't say what's appropriate or not. I mean, I, this is where I usually just punt. <laughs> uh, number one, I don't think that we have in our practice a situation where this occurs. Maybe we should have women sometimes lead the prayer time. If we did that, I think they should have a, a, a clear symbol of authority over their head while they do that. Um, I don't think we have the situation where women are prophesying today. Uh, so that's not a, an issue. But we'll talk about that more as we go along in the prophecy situation. So, But I, I think this challenges me in the sense that we don't like symbols at all. We only care about the heart. And you think about a young kid rebelling, you know, and they're all about some kind of new image that they want to do, some kind of new external symbol. And they're often saying, oh, it doesn't mean what you think it means, Dad, or whatever. And, and here Paul is actually using an argument that the outward symbol does matter to some degree. Uh, and so that challenges me. Uh, I want to get done here, and we're, we're, all, we're out of time, really. But um, in verse 16, we can answer more questions next week, or if you want to come up to me afterwards, that's fine. Verse 16 in the NIV reads, If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Um, so the ESV makes it a little more vague, if you ask me, uh, but I think it, the NIV captures the, the sense of it. Paul's basically saying... This is what's done in all the churches. You, you guys in Corinth are the only ones that are, that are like oddballs out, which I think is like completely funny because in our day and age, there's like almost all the churches could care less about this. <laughs> uh, we'd be the oddball, oddball ones out who still care about authority. Um, so somehow it's completely switched. Um, but Paul is um, uh, clearly just saying that this is, this is what the churches, this is their, what they're accepting and you should not be contentious about this. So, um, how do I just finish closing thoughts on this? Um, I'm not the, uh, the covering police uh, of anyone. That's not, I, I'm not trying to uh, bind anyone. Some people have longer hair than others. It, that, that's, I don't think that's Paul's point. Um, I think he's just talking about being very clear, kind of like Bob and Marilyn Taylor did. If you're ever in a position that seems to question who's in authority, you should make clear that you accept positions of authority. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at this moment. <laughs> and that's all recorded. Okay. So, um, okay. <laughs> Good. Um, we are out of time. So I hate to not give you chances to come back with questions. If you will write them down and come back to me next week with questions, we will, I'll deal with those. Or if you want to talk to me privately, that's fine too. So, um, yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. And thank you for being an authority over us. Thank you for creating men and women. Thank you for building the church. Thank you for outpouring the Spirit both on men and women equally. Thank you um, that men are not greater than women in any sense. Um, I, I thank you for being such an awesome God. 
And one day we'll see all this stuff clearly, but we definitely live in a culture that uh, rejects uh, the beauty of femininity and the beauty of masculinity. Uh, and I know it gets all corrupted with sin, but I just ask God that you would help us to, um, to accept your word into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.